0: Welcome to the Grand Resurrection of Game Critics After Dark. I'm your host, Richard Nyack. Now, you might be wondering what this show is exactly. Well, I'll tell you. On our main show, we tend to go off on all kinds of crazy tangents that our host, Tim, usually has to cut off so we can discuss other important topics. And afterwards, we always joke that, man, we could have made a whole show out of that. And that is why this show exists, to give life to all the material that winds up on the cutting room floor. That means anything could happen. We could talk about Street Fighter, Dig Dug, gardening, UFOs, Ron Paul, anything. When it's after dark, nothing is off limits. And joining me on this expedition into the unknown are some voices you've heard before and a very special newcomer, I think. Let's meet our panel, starting with the horror geek, Mike Bracken. Good evening. Are you ready to talk some Zelda?
1: Oh, I'm always ready to talk some Zelda. As long as it's not Skyrim, I'm ready to talk about it.
0: (laughs) And next up is, you might remember him from the Big Red Potion podcast, Jeffrey Motliff. How are you doing, Jeffrey? I'm doing well. And finally, joining us for, I think the first time ever on this site, is Michael Abbott, owner and proprietor of the world-renowned BrainyGamer.com. How are you, sir?
2: I'm great. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing fine. And tonight, the subject of our discontent is The Legend of Zelda, Skyward Sword. Now, my thoughts are already all over the internet in the form of, re- of a review on this very website. I haven't read the comments, but I'm pretty sure everyone agrees with me. I mean, I think that's, that's a fair assessment. <laughs> yeah. So we already know what I think, but the audience wants to know what the panel thinks. So, Mike, why don't you start us off? What did you think of Skyward Sword.
1: Uh, you know, it's really interesting. Uh, we've done this show, our main show, for like, I don't know, three years now, and over the course of those three years, I have become sort of known as this Nintendo basher, which is funny because I, I have a ton of problems with Nintendo, but... It's sort of funny to watch how I've evolved over the years from this, this kid who loved Nintendo. Nintendo was the center of my universe into this angry adult who, who the company can no longer please. Uh, it's sort of been the same thing with Zelda for me. Like, some of my fondest memories as a kid or as a young adult were playing, you know, The Legend of Zelda or Link to the Past or Ocarina of Time. So, and then you know things sort of sort of started to slide downhill a little bit for me with the series. It got a little repetitive and and lacked freshness and things like that. And uh, so yeah, so we arrive at Skyward Sword where I'm really interested to see how it sort of bookends with Twilight Princess as the you know one of the earliest motion control games on the Wii to one of the biggest last motion control games on the Wii and uh, as we've talked about before on the other show I- I'm pretty disappointed with it uh, I'm unhappy with the way the motion controls seem to function in the game I don't I don't think they're consistent uh, they when they work they're they're all right when they don't work which is far too often the, the game kind of becomes incredibly frustrating but even more than that I just I look at that game and there are some really great areas in it and it's always sort of nice to see Link again because he's so indelibly linked to my my childhood and and my young adult years. But, man, could we do something different with this series, please? Like, even the little concessions here, there's so much backtracking. Everything it does well, there's, like, two things it does that are just incredibly annoying, from the incessant hand-holding to the the incredible amount of backtracking through areas that you've already been through three times. It's just... Everything about it just seems like, I don't know, maybe Zelda's not for me anymore.
0: I I would say that, um, and I agree with uh, pretty much everything you said there, Mike, but I would say roughly half of this game is pretty good. Three three of the dungeons, one of the bosses, I thought were genuinely fun. Uh, Pretty much everything in that desert region, uh, especially Mm -hmm. having to do with the time shift stones, were great. I enjoyed that. Uh, In fact, if this game was called... Legend of Zelda time shift stones, and that had, that had been the main hook instead of sky stuff and motion controls, I would have liked it way more. Um, and it, the problem is, like you said, Mike, for everything good that this game does, it does two things just wrong. And outside of those really good areas, it just, it, it died for me. It's a very, very uneven experience. Um, so, uh, Jeffrey, I understand you have a slightly different take.
3: Yeah. Um, so, much like Mike, I'll start with my background on the Zelda series and um, how I feel about the series in general, is every time a new Zelda game comes out, I always worry that this is going to be the time that I've outgrown it. I'm anticipating becoming Mike Bracken.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh,
1: man, I feel so bad for you. (laughs) Never let that happen.
3: So, you know, when... Twilight Princess came out, it was right after Okami, and I loved Okami, and I didn't really expect a whole lot. And then it, it really surprised me. I thought that it was just fantastic, and briefly thought that maybe it was my favorite Zelda. And then with uh, Phantom Hourglass, I really liked what it did with the, mo- with the uh, touch controls. And I thought Spirit Tracks perfected that, and you know, for a while I thought that might be my favorite Zelda. And I don't even know what my favorite Zelda is anymore, because I feel like each one kind of does something special. But they always kind of surprised me. Like I, I just think that I'm not going to be into this anymore, and this was the one that I liked, but it didn't really go beyond what I was expecting. It didn't, you know, thrill me in in the way that the last few Zelda games have from Wind Waker on. And uh, there's there's a number of reasons for that. Do you, do you want to go over them now, or we'll come back to it? Um,
0: we can go over them now. That's fine. It's up to you. Okay. It's your segment. Go nuts. Okay.
3: Sure. So, I'm sure uh, Michael's heard all these before, but one of my issues is, I didn't really like the way the world was constructed, and I know Richard talked about this last week on the show, but I, I feel like I really liked how Wind Waker was this giant open world, and, you know, not everyone liked the sailing, it was quite slow, but I liked that feeling of being out on the high seas, and then with Twilight Princess, they scaled that back down, so it's kind of this smaller plot of land, um, and I think both of those work really well in different ways. And this just felt like it was a little confused. The the um, main islands of the game are very disjointed, and it didn't feel as coherent as something like Wind Waker, where you don't have that feeling of you can see it and you can go there.
0: It it really did did kind of feel like they were trying to be halfway between uh, aesthetically between Twilight Princess and Wind Waker and. I, I, I don't think that really worked for them. I think they would have been better served by going in one direction or the other, uh, personally.
3: Yeah, I, I felt that way at first. Eventually, the art style did grow on me, and I think it looks as good as those. I think I still prefer Wind Waker a little bit more, but um, like I think it looked good, and contrary to a lot of people, I think Twilight Princess actually does look really good, too. Um, but So that, that was part of it, was how the world's constructed. Also, it was just it was a little too handholdy for me. Um, you know, I, I like really difficult puzzle games, and I thought, um, you know, Twilight Princess was a step back in that direction with some pretty devious dungeons, and Spirit Tracks even more so, is, which is one of the hardest Zelda games to date, um, particularly in terms of the, the dungeon design and the puzzles. So, going from that to this felt just really easy. Um, your sidekick will often tell you you know exactly where to go, and and so that was kind of an issue too. It it's not necessarily a, a quote unquote bad thing, but it just felt like it was aimed towards a younger audience or less experienced audience than what I like from a Zelda game.
0: An an option to turn off a lot of fees, little little hints, like especially the ones where she's like, "Link, your hearts have decreased drastically. Find some yeah. help." Like if you oh could find and turn that off, it would have been so much less aggravating. Like it's not it just
1: that the game beeps at me to tell me that, but then she's got to beep at me and tell me too. Mm-hmm.
3: Okay, and I had one other complaint too, which was just the way that the overworld was constructed that you, you know, which is again sort of halfway between Wind Waker and Twilight Princess. You had this, these sky islands and you fly around on a bird and the bird controls really well. And I feel like that should have been better than the boat in Wind Waker or the, um, or the train in Spirit Tracks. But there just isn't enough to do. Like, there's only one combat section on the bird, and it's late in the game. And it's really cool, but it's really, really brief. And, you know, I, I feel like they really dropped the ball on what should have been the best form of overworld traversal. Um, other than that, though, you know, I didn't have problems with the motion control, controls. I thought they demoed poorly when I played it at trade shows. But once I actually had the tutorial and understood you can only slash in eight directions... It, it gelled with me once I, you know, understood these parameters. And, you know, I found the dungeon designs were were good, you know, aside from being a little too easy. And, you know, I like exploring the world, and, um, you know, like I said, it does all the, the things that I want from a Zelda game. It just didn't really, you know, do anything more than I expected. So I'd like to turn it to Michael, who I know was a bigger fan than, than any of us on this.
0: And, uh, Michael, I
3: just, I want to...
0: Uh read a piece from a recent article you wrote for Slate Magazine, where you stated, uh, and I quote, As for my favorite game of 2011, I have to go with The Legend of Zelda: Skyward Sword. It's an admittedly personal choice, but I've enjoyed a long love affair with Zelda games, and Skyward Sword embraces all the best things about the series while eliminating many of the niggling annoyances. Um, can you elaborate a little bit on that?
2: Yeah, uh, I mean, actually, it, my my... The best game of 2011, I wrote about this on Slate, I, I still think is Dark Souls, so mm-hmm. just for the record. But it, it, I used favorite pretty um, carefully there because I, you know, I don't know if there's a game franchise that has more kind of subjectivity <laughs> attached to it than the Zelda franchise, <laughs> right? That, I mean, it's just a very personal thing for a lot of people, um, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I, I, I mean, it maybe it can cloud your judgment a little bit. But critically, I think maybe I have a, I have a pretty soft spot. And I find that when I write about Zelda, I often find myself, you know, kind of prefacing my remarks with that. Like, I should admit right up front that I'm kind of a Zelda fanboy. You know, like, I want to sort of come out with that because I, I feel like I do have a big soft spot for the series. But I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. I don't think it's necessarily anything to apologize for. And
0: nope, there's no, there's nothing wrong with the, being a fanboy yeah
2: I, I mean i i think that if you are you know if it just makes you unable to see flaws then that's probably an, an issue and i think a lot of the stuff that Jeffrey talked about i i i think he's right i think you know you guys have all talked about the hand holding and i think it, it it's sort of interminable and but um you know I, I think game designers are really up against it these days and i I mean, I don't mean to apologize for stuff that kind of drives you crazy in a game, and I, I agree that it would be nice to be able to turn off, you know, the 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 hint system that just repeats itself over and over, whatever. But um, you know, it's really hard, I think, to find where your target, sort of that sweet spot target demographic, is these days. And I think Nintendo has been pretty genius, actually, about this. Um, they have over the last four or five years. Begun to implement, you know, sort of help systems into their games that are kind of optional. Or you know, even think about the Mario games, how um, you know it's possible to sort of hit the wall there. And instead of in the old days, you just have to sort of go find a friend to get you past it. You know, it, they've built in <laughs> methods for for getting past it, which I think is just smart. It's just better game design. You know, I'm sorry, people who like really hard games get upset because they're quote unquote easier, but you know, the reality is there's a pretty small subset of people that can actually handle those games. And we we like to, you know, we're gamers and we we love, you know, hard games and those but you know, Super Mario Brothers is a damn hard game. I mean, it's real hard. The Legend of Zelda the original game is hard ass game, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh you just can't hand that to anybody and expect them to go off and have fun with it. So, you know, where I found the hand holding in the game as a veteran Zelda player um annoying uh, after a while, I wish they had been condensed. you know, I finally got my son to play a Zelda game, <laughs> and this is the first one he'd ever played and it was very handy for him to have that system in place
0: so do you think that um that perhaps like maybe not eliminating those help systems but having an option to turn them off would be an acceptable compromise
2: yeah i do and i and I think you know if you could. Um, if you guys may have heard about what they're doing with Mass Effect 3 where you can kind of identify yourself as this kind of player and then the the game's going to deliver a certain kind of experience to you Um, I don't know all the details of that but that intrigues me I, I think it would be interesting if Zelda asked you that rather than make sort of make it more game like rather than say turn this feature off turn this feature on like within a menu sort of identify yourself as a player I'm this kind of player and I've had I've played these Zelda games or whatever and then let the game sort of give it to you, you know?
3: You know what I think? Oh,
0: sorry. It would be fun. That is something I've noticed with um, a lot of games with difficulty settings as well, where instead of just, you know, easy, medium, hard, it'll say easy and say, you know, this is for the person that, you know, you don't play a lot of games, you don't really want it to be difficult, and then normal it says, you know, this is a person that plays an average amount of games and blah, 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 and hard says, uh, this is for the hardcore gamer, this is where you want a really stern challenge. So it seems like there's... Uh, more of an effort to delineate between the, the hardcore and the softcore gamer these
3: days. What if they yeah. did something like the Silent Hill series that has separate difficulty for puzzles and combat? I think that could go a long way uh, towards yeah. making Zelda work.
2: Yeah, and I think in Zelda you know, it I actually think it's a terrific idea that the stones that you can walk up to and sort of it'll give you a little visual kind of mini video hint of what to do if you're stuck in a certain place in the game. Game. You don't have to use it. You don't have to engage them once in the game. But for a player who's stuck, uh, it's, it's a lot more fun and you're sort of gameful than going to a game fact site, you know, on the web and looking it up, you know? Uh, it's kind of in the game and it's kind of built into the lore of the game that this system's there and it may be a little, you know, kludgy, but I mean, it's there if you want it. And I, I just think, you know, maybe I'm being too generous, but I think that Nintendo has been thinking hard about how to implement these things um, in ways that aren't just click this on or off switch, but more making them kind of integrated into the flow of the game.
3: Well, I know he's not here now, but um, I know Brad Galloway, he mostly likes Spirit Tracks, but we, we violently disagreed about the last act of that game, where I loved the end of that game because it's very difficult in terms of the puzzles, and he just wouldn't have any of it and want to check game facts and and <laughs> be on with it so i'm curious what you how you felt about that because that you know i liked it much like the mario games it felt very devious you know for the long time player i
2: you know i think well when you talk about this game skyward sword and you talk about puzzles you're talking about a lot of different things actually um you know the dungeons obviously are their own kind of environmental puzzles, and I think so, I think some of them are brilliant. I I think the uh, um, the cistern is is terrific. It's I think it's a clinic.
0: And that and that is one of the things that uh, that that's really the thing that saved Skyward Sword for me was uh, really dungeons three, five, and seven. Not not so much the cistern. I thought that one was a little bit too. Uh, it was a little bit too eager to give me the solutions to some of the puzzles because it seems like every single time I would walk into an obstacle, uh, there would be one of those stones that would just say, "It's like, hey, do this." Like in the very, like in the very beginning with that uh, that door where you have to strike it in a or, in, uh, in order. Yeah, and it just like there's a stone there that says like, "Just look on the statue and find out what the yeah. secret order is." I'm like, "Well, you didn't really need to tell me that," but. Uh,
2: I mean, if you listen to John Blow, for example, talk about puzzle design. One of the things he says is, you know, you can never know how people are going to approach a puzzle. I mean, it, it it's very, very hard to de- design puzzles um because it, you get this range, and he's got it sort of mapped out to a kind of spectrum of players. There's a player that's just on the one end just going to hammer on it hard until he comes up with the right answer. He's not actually solving it. He's just... Hammering on it for a long time, trying anything you can think of until maybe the door opens. You know, to the player, who sort of overthinks it and overanalyzes every single element. And that's me. Yeah, right. <laughs> and and some players just don't minds don't work that way. So, I find that when I talk with my students about about Zelda games and like somebody will be complaining about a dungeon and like three other students say, "Ah, oh, are you kidding? That was like the easiest one." <laughs> and then someone, you know. Oh, then they'll reverse it. Somebody else thought this was super hard and then that other person thought it was easy. But it's, I don't know, it, it's hard to know how to pitch those. And I think the, the Zelda games have been pretty good, although I, I agree that they're uneven in, in places, but they've been overall pretty good at figuring out how to deliver consistently engaging puzzles inside those dungeons. But you know, the, 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 the enemies are puzzles too. And because you're fighting them and they have patterns and there's puzzly stuff in there. And you know, the, the boss. Battle that you have ultimately at the end uh with uh Lord uh, uh Gir- Demi-
0: demise or is it are you talking about the one right before that
2: the uh, yeah, Girahim. okay yeah. yeah that you it's basically like a slowly evolving puzzle over time that you you have multiple engagements with him, and each one of those is like a puzzle where you have to bring with you what you learned before so there's a lot of puzzling in the game if you want to think of it that way
0: that uh that gives me a nice segue into talking about the controls, because the battles with Giranim, is that how you say his name?
2: It's H-I-M. I think it's Girahim.
0: Girahim. The battles with Girahim um, were one of the low points of the game for me, actually, especially the uh, the first one and the sixth one, which, by the way, it, it really bothered me that they didn't uh, bother to put real bosses in the first and sixth dungeons and they just made you fight uh, Girahim again. Uh, they just because those battles are basically the same. You don't use the item that you got in the dungeon for them. And personally, I didn't really enjoy those battles that much. But more specifically, the controls. I know Mike and I had a ton of trouble with them. Um, there were a lot of times where I would try to swing in a certain direction and it wouldn't take. Uh, sometimes when I was throwing the bomb, if I twitched slightly in the wrong direction, it would switch from uh, throw to roll mode. Just it's uh, it just seems very overly sensitive to a lot of my movements, especially like when when uh, doing the forward thrust attack. Um, how would your guys' experience with the controls? I know you uh, were a lot more positive than we were on them.
3: Yeah, so uh, I guess I'll start with that. Okay, <laughs>
0: <laughs> jump in there, Jeffrey.
1: Sorry,
3: so it's it's a, um, it's
0: a free for all. Go for it. <laughs> okay.
3: So I, I talked about this before um, I, with you guys actually where to impress me for something that didn't demo well, and I brought him Skyward Sword, and I think that they demoed uh, the controls of that game as poorly as they could have, because yes. the demo was the the game fight. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I wasn't... It, there was no tutorial, so I didn't know that you could only swing in eight directions. So he's, he's holding his hand up, and I'm like trying to do like a low swing, or do some other kind of swing, and I'm always hitting his hand. And what's interesting about that fight is the solution... To like how to hit him, is contrary to the the selling point of the controls. So, okay, I'm gonna have to get, give a really technical example here. Please, uh, please so go sh- ahead. Okay, so if you wanted to bisect uh, Ghirahim from groin to gullet and do an upward swing, um, if you if you point your reader mode down and swing up, he'll have his hand down and he'll predict that. So you want to point it at his at his face and in real life you would quickly circle your arm below and then swing up but if you do that in the game that'll that act of repositioning your arm below will count as a downward swing so what you want to do is like aim it at his face and then swing up towards the ceiling and then that'll register as like a blow from below so the whole like solution to that is understanding the limitations the controls and kind of like gaming them in a sense
0: that that actually took me a very very long time to uh to figure out because it it worked it what it works exactly the way you said it did because when i would try to uh because fee tells you swing in the opposite direction of where his hand is so when i would try to reposition the sword it would swing in the direction that his sword was in or i wouldn't do it fast enough and his hand would already be over there by the time i was ready to swing so what i wound up doing is just doing exactly what you said is pointing it up and then just doing a really quick upslash and then that would hit him. And I didn't, I didn't actually figure that out until, uh, the second time I fought him. The first time I just beat him by just waggling the remote in every single possible direction and eventually
3: winning. Um, <laughs> strategy. Yes.
2: See, that's that yeah. brute force puzzle solving yeah, stuff.
3: That's what I had to do when I demoed it too. And it was really confusing. I just came away frustrated.
0: <laughs> so Jeffrey, um, compared to the demo, uh, how would you say the controls were improved in the final product?
3: Okay. Um, so for one, like I said, I, I played a gear fight, which is like a really bad demonstration. But when, when I was actually doing the, you know, fighting regular enemies, it was okay. Um, you know, especially once I understood that there were only eight directions, so I wasn't trying to do anything fancier. So that, the swords can actually worked for me. Um, I also was concerned about the bow and arrow because you pull back with your left hand, which is what a left-handed person would do, but you swing the sword with your right hand. So it felt very confused. Mm. But when you actually play the game, you don't have to pull back to do the bow and arrow thing. You just point at the screen. Yeah,
0: I, I did so. play. I, I played with the Wii mode in my left hand. I do. I, I do that kind of stuff with my my left hand, and then just have the the nunchuck in my right. And that, I mean, I had problems, but that was not one of them.
2: Hmm. So no, you, oh, I'm sorry, Jeffrey. Go ahead.
3: No, that's fine. You can, you can
2: take over. Well, I, I was just going to say, I, I think, you know, this is old technology in a way. That they're trying to soup it up with Motion Plus, but it's, you know, they, they're they designing a game. It would have been interesting if this game had come out at the beginning of the Wii's life and yeah. then sort of see where you might go from there because it took so long to get to this place and you have to use a different controller than you would have initially.
0: I was going to say, I... That's one of the things that kind of gets me about this game is that five years into the Wii's uh, life cycle, we get this game that is supposedly the culmination of everything that it does, and then it, just the number, the the sheer amount of problems that I had with it. Mike, I know you can probably corroborate this, mm-hmm. and it's just, it's just like if this is the ultimate justification for this control scheme existing, then this control scheme is a failure.
2: See, I disagree. I, I think it. I, I, I. This is a strange thing because you. I think one of the things that Nintendo didn't account for with this system is the the, fair the wide variation in uh, setups that people have in their homes, yeah. and and that probably then makes you right that if it if the controller doesn't work everywhere, it's not good. So, God grant you that. But, you know, we have. We have a big nice TV in my living room and I like to play games on it, but my wife likes to watch television on it. So there's a small kind of crappy TV upstairs and I'll take the Wii up there. I have a completely different gaming experience up there for some reason in that room and I've never been able to figure it out, but the Wii, the Wii Mote and particularly with Motion Plus doesn't work as well up there. I don't know if it's the lighting or if there's something. I don't know. I have never been able to figure it out. I go downstairs. I use it on the other system and it's per. I didn't have any problems with the with the remote controls in Skyward Sword. Really. I mean that I the battles with Girahim are a little, yeah, I, I agree that there's places where you have to really sort of understand the constraints. But like just making your way through the world, I found that they worked almost flawlessly for me.
0: It's so strange when I hear when I hear people say that because I know Mike and I had had just all kind had a mountain of problems with the controls for this game and uh Myself, I I played it on, I mean, I have a uh, fairly large TV in my living room that I played it on. When I played it, I am, uh, catch a quick look at it, I am about 10 feet away, 9 or 10 feet. So, I mean, it's not like I'm too close to the TV. I have plenty of room, but I I, I honestly don't know if it was just my lighting or if my, my movements are just too exaggerated because I tend to get, like if I'm playing a traditional controller, I tend to, you know, if I'm trying to steer, I'll steer the controller, like, in the direction I want to go, just out of <laughs> habit, even though I know that doesn't actually do anything. Um, but I, I don't know. Maybe it's just not suited to how I use the controller or what. I, it's just – it's a really bizarre contrast that I found.
3: Well, with this particular game, you're not using the uh, the infrared sensor at all. Sensor like, mirror. everything is based on – Yeah,
0: it's based on the, uh, the, yep. Wii, the Wii Motion Plus, which – you can actually unplug your sensor bar – when you're playing the game. And I actually, I found that out because, uh, I was playing the game and one of my cats yanked the cord for the sensor bar <laughs> out of the Wii. And I was just like, oh, God damn it. I got to pick this thing, go pick this thing up and put it, pl- and uh, plug it back in. And I noticed that the game kept working and I'm like, Oh, so that's what the Wii motion plus does. That's interesting. So yeah, I found that out in a very, very, uh, haphazard way. My, yeah, I- my
1: question for you guys is, is this, if I can jump in, uh, Love the Whether you had problems with the controls or not, do you think that the motion controls in this game did anything? Was there anything they did that really justifies using them, or would this game have been just as good with a regular controller? Because I know how I feel about that. Well,
3: I think that the sword play, at the very least, being able to swing in different directions is important. So I'm curious, Mike, would how would you have done this on a standard pad? Just use the, the right analog stick to, like, shove that in a direction? Or?
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think. I know there have been games that, that have used a scheme like that, and I'm totally I, flaking on I believe I
0: Too Human did that, didn't it? Yeah, Too, too, too
1: Human did do that. To think we're right. citing Too Human as a positive too, too example? Is, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, didn't, didn't, uh... Crap, I can't think of what it was. I know I had another one that did it well. Uh, but, yeah, it, you know, I, I guess... In that regard, uh, you know the sword play uh, maybe it's just me i'm I'm almost forty years old i'm I'm just not really that jazzed about swinging swords anymore so <laughs> i uh, i i guess for me uh, for me, the controls felt like when even when they worked when they worked, I could appreciate them on some level that they were neat. But for a game like this, where I'm playing for hours at a time, because, you know, it took me 50 hours to get through this game, I I don't know that I really want to swing my arm around and and do all this stuff with my arms for, you know, three and four hour stretches. So I, I felt, you know, like a lot of the stuff, and again, with the issues, I felt like, actually, I know motion control should be making me feel more connected with the game, but I actually felt... Like it was creating an additional layer sometimes between me and the game because I was fighting with the controls
0: so much. This, this game felt like, um, a microcosm of the Wii itself in a lot of ways because, you know, you first, you start the game when you first get the sword and, you know, you're swinging it around and it's like, wow, that's, that's really cool. It'll actually track my movements. And, you know, the first time you ever picked up the Wii Mote and you played, uh, you know, Wii Bowling or whatever it was, then yep. you, you know, you played it, and it's like, wow, this is, you know, pretty cool. I wonder what they're going to do with this. But then the novelty of that just, for me, wore off really quickly. And it stopped being this, like, you know, cool thing that I was doing, and it just started being this, you know, a hindrance. It's like Mike was saying, it's an additional layer between me and actually playing the game. So in in that respect, it was like, it it's so weird that it just kind of, like, mirrored my experience with the Wii in general in that fashion.
2: I think it's just another example of the the sort of deep subjectivity of of Mm -hmm. not just the sort of franchise, but kind of the whole world of it, that for me, the the motion controls, they're less about the sort of technical elements of them, and they're more about sort of what they mean. And for me, what they mean is that I'm more deeply connected with Link, that I I feel like in this game, the first time I've ever felt in a Zelda game that i That I was link that i was that I was behaving as link it wasn 't just controlling link mm-hmm. that and of course now that 's because the, I felt like the motion controls worked well for me if, if I was fighting them, I could see where it would would take me out of that experience, but for long stretches of time in that game, I feel significantly more connected to that character, and um, so that was useful to me I, I thought it drew me into the game now you know I think it 's also worth mentioning. You use the, the motion controls in that game for a lot more than just sword play. I mean, you do a lot of other things with those motion yes. controls, and I think some of that stuff is really well implemented. Yes, yeah, um, so,
0: some of it did work. Um, Mike, I know you disagree, but I, uh, I thought the swimming controls actually worked pretty well, um, especially in the, uh, the water dungeon in the cistern. Um, I actually thought they were very reminiscent of the swimming controls in Majora's Mask. Uh, for me, like when you had the little the Zora form, um, but I will. I mean, they. I hated that that water scavenger hunt part of the the Song of the Hero. But I mean, other than that, I did think the swimming controls worked really well. Um, I think I think motion controls do work as sort of a supplemental control method, because um, like in my review, I cited Metroid Prime 3 as something that used uh, motion pretty well. And it created this you know, this weird hybrid between a controller and like a mouse and keyboard, which, you know, for for me who generally likes a mouse and a keyboard, that's like Nirvana for me. Like I thought that was great. But using it as a replacement for traditional controls like <clears throat> like this game did, I just I, I did not think that worked at all.
2: Well, I think if you if if you have a a toolkit and you have mapped motion control to each of them in ways that make sense then you have a system that works and for me that's what they did uh that if that for example the little mechanical you know bird that you can launch you know and that you you can steer it yeah the beetle yeah i mean it's that to me that's just brilliant i i use that in ways that i expect well that's a very personal sort of tool I think you can use that to get a look around corners. You can use that to sort of look ahead and see what you might not have otherwise known about until you got there in a, in a previous Zelda game. Um, so, and, and the, just the mechanics of that, of being able to aim it and then like using, just tilting it with your hand and so it, basically just controlling it like you would a robotic flying thing, <laughs> um, turned Except out to be you- a lot of fun.
1: Except don't you think I, – I mean, not not to be disagreeable, but would, wouldn't you think, though, like if I had a robotic flying thing like a remote-controlled airplane, I would control it with like a two-stick controller?
2: I don't know. I mean, I guess it just – it once you have this tool in your hand that's adaptable to different things, then it becomes – that. I mean, that's what you have, right? So then how many ways can I use it? I didn't – I guess it just becomes the your mindset. This is what I have in my hand what can i do with it i can use it as a key i can use it as whatever well, that that same. actually
1: was my my favorite my favorite tool of the game uh, that was the one thing that always controlled the way i wanted it to to oddly enough
0: one of the interesting things about the beetle is that um oftentimes i would use it to avoid uh sword fights because a lot of times like if you if you take the beetle and you just ram it right into an yeah. enemy it'll yeah, push yeah. them back very slightly <laughs> And right. then, like, if they're standing on a cliff, if I did that two or three times, they would just fall off. And it's like, yeah, hey, I don't have to actually fight you. And then, like, <laughs> I would take every single possible opportunity to drop bombs on things. And I mean, <laughs> I I, th- I thought that thing was pretty cool. Yeah,
1: that was probably my favorite part of the the tools in the game for sure.
3: Mm-hmm. It's funny because Batman had it, essentially the exact same tool. Yeah, I guess yeah. It, it was a little cooler because it has it can pick stuff up, and I like that they it also kind of works in two D form where you have the overhead. Uh, you yeah. upgrade for it. Mm. I wondered, do
2: so, you guys... Oh, oh, I'm sorry.
3: Oh, no, go sorry. ahead, Michael.
2: I wondered if you also... It, it seems to me that, that they made an effort to communicate a link that was a little different um, somewhere in between. I mean, he's not a boy like he is in Wind Waker, but he's he's more athletic in this game, I think. He's more... His movement's more interesting than in previous games, and uh, he can do things he just feels more interesting as a character to me physically in this game
0: uh, he are you talking about in terms of appearance or just just on? the way
2: he moves the way he does things um he, he you know he he feels i don't know how to describe it except to say that he seems more athletic uh the way he runs the way he 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 only has so much stamina the way he um uh, the way he rolls there's a Part of it's animation, they just change the animations, but part of it's just how he feels controlling him. I don't know. It's a visceral thing, I guess.
3: Hmm. I wish the stamina meter was a bit longer, but I did like yeah. that he can like, actually hop up walls a bit. That did feel a little free, and I still wish that the series had a manual jump. I mean, I just recently yes. went back and played Okami for a retrospective, and like that game just controls so fluidly, mm-hmm. and yes. that's one place that Zelda never quite
0: it It's that and then free range camera controls, like yeah. I think like pretty much every game that's like you know this three d action adventure with uh sword play has given us free range camera controls. It's like you have one analog stick that controls your character, the other one controls the camera, that's just the the standard pretty much, and it it kind of disappoints me that Zelda hasn't really they either haven't caught on or they don't think it's necessary.
3: So the third analog stick controls a sword? Because you can only yes. have to do one of those things. Yes. <laughs> this,
0: this controller is going to have six analog sticks. <laughs>
2: okay. <laughs> but we'll it is it the true. There, Italian remote. There's a, there is a kind of a stubbornness that they have, though. And it does, I mean, I've sort of defended the games, but they, there is an unmistakable stubbornness that they have in these other games. The, the The jumping is a great example. I mean, it's time to let us control the jumping. Yes. And And every time you walk up to the guy that can fix your sword, you have to listen to the exact same exactly. thing he says yes. everything you know every it's just come on like you don't have to do that um but it's it's like they don't quite know the difference between a um a convention that we accept as a kind of natural part of the Zelda universe, which is kind of ritualistic and um something that's just a limitation based on old technology you know that we don't have to do anymore it's like they don't, they don't they don't know the difference between the two
0: yeah yeah it it does seem that uh zelda is very wedded to concept to just concepts and mechanics that are part of its history probably more so than uh, any other long running game series i mean we've seen mario kind of you know shed parts of its past we saw uh, i can't really think of another good example off the top of my head but i mean zelda seems like it's you know this is our way and we're sticking to it and just in the face of any sort of advancement that's kind of happened. Uh, Jeffrey, you've been messaging me on Skype a couple of times. (laughs) You have a question.
3: Oh, yeah. So um, earlier we we, – you know, you read that excerpt from Michael's piece, and I think he he got a little sidetracked deflecting some of our criticisms and was fine because it's a great discussion. But I want to hear why, Michael, do you think that this is the best Zelda? What does this do better than other Zelda's?
2: Well, I think – i I mentioned earlier I think that 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 puzzling in the game is you, they spread it out in interesting ways that they don 't just limit it to the uh, dungeons and I think that 's kind of an interesting uh design idea um, but um I think the dungeons are tighter um I think that gear is used uh, more thoughtfully i 'm just talking about sort of design stuff here um mm. that that, that doesn 't feel as superfluous or like they don 't they forget about it It felt to me like in Twilight Princess, which is my least favorite Zelda game um, mm. that it you know they they give you stuff, and they just forget about it, or it it you just carry it around and it seems to have no use quickly after you get it um, and I thought that the you know, the Silent Realm, I thought was a terrific idea. I thought it changed the way you play a Zelda game. And I know it was controversial, some people didn't like it, but... I'm, t-
0: I'm tempted to kick you off the call right now. Because, <laughs> you know, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding,
2: of course. Well, I think, you know, it's, it's so funny to me because people say, well, change Zelda, Zelda never changes, it never changes, and they gave you something completely different there, and it was a different kind of gameplay, a different set of, uh, you know, um, issues that you had to deal with, with different constraints, and you had to solve it you had to succeed in that with those challenges um i thought it worked and i enjoyed it um but it it felt to me like the design team didn't necessarily want to reboot the series and they're probably never going to completely reboot the series and they probably shouldn't but um you know i i liked the visual the aesthetics of the visuals appealed to me a lot um um, I, I really enjoy the music. I think the the compositions in the in it are as good as any of the Zelda games. Yeah, um, I like the music too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and of course it sounds great because it's you know orchestral now and mm-hmm. um, I you know it's just to me and this is where it gets all touchy feely. There is just something very special about the heroic feeling you get playing these games. They're charming. This game has heart. I mean it, it I think it really has heart and you know this is something missing from games big time <laughs> in my opinion um I like Wind Waker better I think Wind Waker is my favorite game of all time but um that's just because it's just so damn charming and you can't I don't know it's hard to define but I this game for me um it just tightens up the the series gets rid of uh uh, what felt to me like superfluously um, uh, superfluous extras in dungeons and sort of uh, overextended dungeon design that didn't need to be as long as it was.
0: I will say that um it just, and I think it just kind of sums up my views on how uneven this game is, is I will say that the silent realm areas there, there are four of them and they were by far my least favorite part of the game. I found them very aggravating I would be okay with it if it wasn't like one hit and you fail or anything like that. Like I think that that could have, that basically those whole areas could have spent some more time on the drawing board to make them, uh, be a little bit more interesting. Cause I do, I do like the design of them. I do like the whole like other world dimension part, aspect of it. But on the flip side, um, what you were saying about the dungeons and like making the puzzles a little bit more condensed and less superfluous, that pirate ship was, I mean, that place really wowed me. I mean, I walked into that, I first got the map and I was like, wow, this thing is really small. This isn't going to take very long at all. But it's like, <laughs> they did so much in that space with the, the time shift stones and like, you know, switching back and forth between, uh, you know, the, the broken world and the active one. And it was just, it was great. It was a, my favorite part of the entire game. And that's, Again, I wish this game was Legend of Zelda Time Shift Stones or Time Shifters or Time Cop or whatever you want to call it. So. With Van Dam, Yeah, with Van Damme. <laughs> have, have Van Dam voice blank. But, uh. But
2: I, if you're a long time player, those are, those are new things. I mean, mm-hmm. it, to say that this game is just a iteration with like, you know, minor cosmetic changes of every other Zelda game is just not true. There's fairly significant content in this game that's that's unique to this i mean you could say i guess to some degree that the that the uh silent realm is there's some connections to like this what is it spirit tracks jeffrey the uh, the Uh, the handheld games where you have to you know stealthily make your way through oh you're talking about
3: phantom hourglass
2: phantom hourglass Yeah, yeah yeah that's it yeah so i mean it's not it's maybe not new to the franchise but Mm. to the major console series
0: interesting Interesting. Well, well, folks, we are going to take a quick break when we come back. The future of the Zelda franchise and what we want it to be. Stick around. It's not an exaggeration to say that the Zelda franchise has been a pillar of gaming since its inception. But even pillars can sometimes get cracked or dirty and require a little restoration to keep it in shape. So the question I want to pose to you gentlemen is, where do you want Zelda to go from here? What do you want out of the future of the franchise? I actually have quite a bit to say about this, so I will start. I would love to see Zelda get the Metroid Prime treatment, and just Get a total reboot. Let Retro or someone like Retro have a crack at it. Get some outside perspective into the creative process here. Get some new writers. Maybe have some actual depth to the characters. And Michael, I know that's making you cringe, but you'll have your you'll have your piece here in a few minutes. Just give me something more to do in between the dungeons. I think that's that that's something that they've been really faltering at, especially with the past uh past two Zelda games. Uh, maybe play with the new setting. Just do something to make it feel like you're not just coasting on Ocarina. And for God's sake, give Zelda her own game. It's time. If you're going to turn the Zelda model on its head, that is where you start. Jeffrey, I heard you snicker.
3: Uh No, that wasn't. That's was Mike, actually. That's oh. me.
0: I, I was snickering.
2: <laughs> Michael. Well, uh, I I wrote about this a while back, a little series about kind of where should Zelda go and... Um, This was before Skyward Sword, and um, before sort of having anything to say about that, it it occurred to me, maybe you ought to think about what shouldn't change. And so I had an interesting conversation with my friend Corvus Elrod, um, who who loves the Zelda series, and particularly loves Wind Waker, and we were sort of thinking about what is it that's core to the series and what needs to stay if the series is to sort of remain true to itself. Um, so I think it's essentially, it's an adventure narrative, uh, and it, it combines action and, uh, exploration, puzzle solving, combat, platforming, stealth, a little bit of role-playing. I think those are the Zelda elements, basically. Um, uh, but I think there's also this kind of whimsy, there's a, there's, Corvus calls it, uh, let's see, so I can get this. Uh, I have it here. Uh, here it is: um, the triumph of youthful innocence and delight over the cynical power-mongering forces of adulthood. <laughs> and, <laughs> and and there you have the, the Zelda's uh, point of origin, if you want to think of it like that. And and I think I don't. I, I think Nintendo has mis, made some missteps when they've tried to go too dark or make the Zelda series too. Uh, um, I know Jeffrey feels differently about this, but Twilight Princess for me wasn't exactly the right way to go. Um, because the, the whole trajectory of, of the game industry, it seems to me, goes in that direction that Zelda has an opportunity to, opportunity to not necessarily go with the flow. Um, and I like the fact that this game seems to be a return to a bit more of the Wind Waker, uh, f- you know, framework of storytelling and Link as a, as a young hero so
0: um that kind of leads into another question i had um if you say that uh you don't really want it to go into a quote-unquote darker direction how did you feel about uh majora's mask because that was that majora's mask was it probably wasn't as dark as twilight princess but i mean it was still pretty pretty dark for a zelda game i think
2: um i thought of it like it's hard for me to think about that game separate from ocarina of time i think it's sort of like part one and part two in a way um, they're not, not literally, but that there's, that they go together, and I think that, that thinking of them as a pair, they work beautifully. One of them works in a sort of sunnier way, one of them works in a kind of darker way, and, and as companion pieces, I thought it was really cool. But um I don't necessarily think Majora's Mask, and, and, you know, game connoisseurs tend to think about that game with fondly. We like Majora's Mask, it's cool, it's interesting, it's a different Zelda. But, you know, most people didn't like it so much uh, and it 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 wasn't terribly popular um and i think it's it's because the the universe of zelda seems to be as i described it and that's sort of that lovely corvus quote about something else so when you go dark you can you can muck around in some interesting stuff and i'm not saying it has to be just all sunny stuff and it, there's some interesting problems that the characters in the in the towns have but uh by and large i don't think that's where the series wants to be it doesn't feel at home there it's
0: interesting that you say that because uh, Majora's mask is actually my my favorite Zelda game and it's a lot for a lot of the reasons that you just described it went in a different direction than some of the other and this is obviously personal preference but it went in a different direction than a lot of the more sunny aspects of uh, some of the other Zelda games I really enjoyed the the town itself and like just how the lives of all the people in that town just sort of intertwined. Um, it, it's, kind of, it's kind of interesting to me because Majora's Mask, the three game arc between Link to the Past, Ocarina and Majora's Mask, I really felt was the Zelda series' peak. Like that, that three set of games, just like, you know, bam, 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 you know, genius work after genius work. And with after Majora's Mask, and when Wind Waker came out, and I, I did really enjoy Wind Waker, but it felt it it felt like kind of a step back in a few ways. I mean, I did really enjoy it um, artistically. Um, I loved most of the dungeons, and I actually think the final boss in that game is the uh, the best in the series. But it, I, I couldn't really shake the feeling that it was just they were trying to just redo Ocarina, that they were just going back to what was safe and. Twilight Princess really felt like that in a lot of ways. And I still, you know, enjoyed Twilight Princess for the most part, but it did sort of feel like that. And then Skyward Sword, we know how I felt about that.
2: I'm curious, what what is it about Skyward Sword that seemed so much like Twilight Princess to you? I mean, they seem like very different games to me.
0: They seem very, well, aesthetically, they're, you're right. They are uh, very, very different. But in a lot of ways, they have the same problems. Um I mean, it's like I said, I didn't really, I'm not really a fan of trying to replace the traditional control set with the motion control set. In Twilight Princess, it wasn't really that big of a problem because the motions that they asked you to do were too very, were, uh, very imprecise. In Skyward Sword, that was, as we discussed before, obviously a bigger problem for me and Mike. I didn't, roughly half the game and about half the uh 47 hours that I spent playing it was spent doing content that I didn't really find all that interesting. Uh when I was in the dungeons, it was fine or most of or most of the dungeons it was it was fine. Like it was a good Zelda game. Most of them were uh well designed. There was you know all of them had some sort of redeeming quality. The rest of it was just a lot of just going back and forth in this world that I didn't find all that interesting and it just felt like it was Fifteen to twenty hours longer than it needed to be, and that's what really got me. Is it was just, I I don't really know why they felt that way or why they felt the game needed to be this long, but it just really felt uh, stretched out way too far.
3: Am I the only one who didn't find Skyward Sword to be like the longest? To me, it took like just over forty hours, which is still long, but I found a lot more in the, in like, I beat it with only missing one heart, and usually when I play these games, I'm missing way more than that, and they take just as long, if not longer. So I felt like this one seemed, at least to me, was, like, the most streamlined in, um, in terms of, you know, where to go and what to collect.
1: It's funny. I spent more, more time on Ocarina of Time and Twilight Princess. Like, Twilight Princess, I think I finished with, like, 70 hours or something obscene like that. This one felt longer to me, though, for some reason. I, I only, I, I didn't do everything in Skyward Sword, but by the time I was done, I had like fifty-two hours into it, and and it literally felt even longer. And I think part of that's because uh, the game has this tendency uh, to sort of send you, like every time i find uh, every time i go through a dungeon then i gotta go back to the sky and i gotta fly all the way out to learn the next song and and like a lot of this stuff that just i don't know maybe it seems like a lot of other games would condense some of this stuff and make it you know less time take less time to complete so i, I felt like i did a lot of stuff in this game that was sort of like traveling or just you know backtracking to something or you know going back to get things and, and stuff like that which you know i i kind of think with the other games i i felt more like at least even though they they took longer at least i was always progressing somewhere and and this one sometimes i i didn't have that feeling
0: and that's something that was kind of strange to me about this because like you said the travel if i want to go to a different area you have to go to the sky Get on the bird, fly there, fly to the closest bird statue, and so there's I mean there's several steps in between getting where you want to go. Whereas in Ocarina, you just you just you had those uh those temple songs where you just you played it and then you went to the little uh like the temple pad and it took you pretty much wherever you needed to go. So it was it, it's just weird to me that they decided to add that those those layers of uh, complexity to just something as simple as travel like that that didn't really work for me.
3: It's funny, but I'm I one of the very few like hardcore Zelda fans who, for whatever reason, Ocarina did not connect with me as much as a lot of them did. It's definitely near the bottom for me, and and that's one of the reasons is I felt like traveling in that game was really kind of a pain. You don't get the Warp songs until very late, and even when you get them, they warp you you to know, where the dungeons are, but they're places that you basically never have to go back to. They're like the furthest corners of the world. Um, but just doing the basic... You know, quests, you have to trot through Hyrule Field really a lot in that game. And I respect it. I love what it did for the series later on, but going back to that one now, I find to be one of the, you know, the most dated of the 3D ones.
2: You know, it's interesting because that, I mean, I think we just sort of, everyone universally has a sense of Ocarina as being, you know, it's the game, right? It's the best game ever made or whatever. But, you know, it, it's not perfect by any means. And I think subsequently, When Zelda games have improved on elements of it and some of, some of it I, I think isn't very interesting. Um, I mean, one of the Skyward Sword improvements, it seems to me, is that they fill up the world with more interesting things than just the dungeons that when you're in Ocarina of Time, it, I mean, Hyrule Field is the first time you see it is really cool, but there's not a lot to do. And, and you know, you bump into sort of the same old stuff. And so in between dungeons, it seems to me what, what Skyward Sword did was they made that overworld or whatever you want to call it significantly more filled up with things to do and challenges to overcome that were, that are kind of dungeon-like. So there's the dungeons and then there's kind of like mini dungeons outside those dungeons. To me, that was more interesting.
0: I agree with you as far as the desert region goes. I thought that the between dungeon content in That region was pretty cool. I mean, the stuff with the, the generator that you had to go turn on, uh, the mining carts, that, that sand sea when you're chasing around the cloaked pirate ship with the boat, that stuff was all pretty cool. Outside of that, in the, you know, that forest area or the volcano, it just, it it just all seemed like busy work. Like none of it was really that much fun. Uh, like especially that, uh, when you're doing Song of the Hero, and you have to do that like aquatic scavenger hunt for all the those notes in the water, um, or that very first fetch quest you do in the forest, where you're just looking for those little the the kiwis or those little animal things, whatever you call them, that just that 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 just felt like really pointless busy work to me. Like I just didn't it, it just didn't grab me really.
2: You know, it, it, yeah, I I understand what you mean. I think. It's so funny when you think about game design because like that's, that's what Skyrim does. That's what pretty much every damn game does. You know, they send you off to do stuff and you gotta do it and then you gotta, and then you gotta come back and get credit for it in whatever way. And so it's how, how do you dress that up to make it more interesting than just what that sounds like, right? And I I think it's, we're getting back to this horribly obvious thing, subjectivity. If that experience seems like drudgery to you because you're just going and collecting a bunch of crap and bringing it back, then that's really bad game design if the way there is interesting and the creatures you meet along the way are interesting and it's you know visually interesting and you feel like you're in a world or whatever then it doesn't feel like that and i it's it just fascinates me how much range there is in the interpretive sort of uh, response to, to those worlds the,
0: the difference between uh that and skyrim for me um is just because in mike i hear you cringing because you don't want to talk about skyrim anymore but uh <laughs> The difference between that and Skyrim is that in Skyrim, when I'm sent to go do something, I can branch off of that path and go do something else. Like there's another, like if I'm going to one city, then I could just, you know, take a detour and go to another city or, you know, a dungeon somewhere or something. I mean, there's, there's stuff for me to go find and do. In Skyward Sword, that, the stuff, I mean, there was, there were a few things that were sort of off the, the path, but I mean, that didn't, None of it was really all that interesting, and there just didn't seem like there was much to see when I was going back and forth between places in this world.
2: I I think it's it really comes down to a question of to what degree does the world of the game engage you, Mm -hmm. kind of on its own energy. You know, like it it, it, does it feel like a place that you want to be? Do you do you do you want to investigate it? And is there enough reward for doing that for you? You know, like, that's what keeps you going. Mm. And, I mean, if I hear, hear you right, I think it's fundamentally the difference is, I, I like being in the world, I find that it's compelling and interesting to me, and you don't.
0: And that, and that's, and that's really exactly right. You're hitting the nail directly on the head.
3: It's funny cause, uh, Richard, like, I had, Sort of the opposite reaction. I only played Skyrim for about four or five hours, so I can't really compare that much, but um, Skyrim wasn't grabbing me for, you know, a number of reasons, but um, I really liked, you know, even if you're doing, say, like, a fetch quest in Zelda, you go back to an area, and, like, while you're there, you find stuff that you couldn't get before, or you see one of those cubes that you have to activate um, that makes like a treasure appear in the sky, and you're like, ooh, you know, how do I get to that cube? And to me, like, you know the exploration part you know it's not a quote unquote quest, but it you know it's something to do, and I felt like I was just constantly you know unlocking something or finding something or bombing a wall
0: interesting, interesting Mike yes, I know you love fetching in all of its forms
1: oh i do how did you, how
0: did you feel I'm... about uh skyward sword's world
1: uh you know i <laughs> I think, on the most basic level, it feels like a Zelda world. Uh, you know, it's, it's got its own uh, its own little personality, a little bit of its own personality, and, like, I'm like you. I enjoyed the Sand Sea area a whole lot. I thought that was, like, a really great area, and, and I liked all the time I spent in it. And at the same time, it's... Well, it does these things, and it has sort of its own personality. It also sticks to what the core Zelda experience tends to be. And, you know... Some of the dungeons I liked better than others. I, I thought the, the overworld itself, uh, I wasn't as big a fan of the forest. I liked the desert. Uh, the volcano was sort of in the middle for me. So, you know, I, that wasn't, that wasn't what made me feel bad about the game. I actually liked what, you know, the world for the most part and wanted to be more engaged by it. I just wasn't always engaged so much with what the game wanted me to do within that world, so. That kind of sums it up for me. I mean, uh, I, I went into this game wanting to actually like it on a certain level. I, I like the the art style. I like the music. I, you know, I thought it was really nice to see them take a break out of the mold where we give you a tool in the dungeon and you use it in that dungeon and then you sort of don't really use it again. So, I mean, that was. Uh, that was cool, and, as far as the series as a whole moving forward i I would be hesitant to say, "Change a bunch of stuff because there's clearly an audience who loves Zelda the way it is, and maybe uh, you know it's sort of selfish for me to want them to change Zelda to be what I would prefer it to be there other I'll just play something else." But uh, after that, I kind of feel like uh, I would like to see them maybe streamline some things a little bit, like a little less of the backtracking so much. If you want to make a 50-hour game, uh, maybe have some more areas in it or things like that instead of constantly sending me back to the same ones. I I understand that you get deeper into it each time you go back, but it would be nice to have maybe a little more variety there and a little less hand-holding and... You know maybe some skippable text dialogue if you're
0: not going to do the voice <laughs> acting thing yes yeah, skippable skippable text dialogue uh, skippable cutscene should really be a standard feature in in all games nowadays there's really there's really no reason not to have that
1: yeah I mean I mean we're just I, I don't know I'm you know we're all grown-ups and we all have lives and stuff so you know I, I appreciate re- I read dialogue in games all the time and I'm you know I'm one of those guys though if you give me a dialogue in a voice-acted game with text subtitles, sometimes I'll read the subtitles and skip the voice-acting, just speed it up, you know, so, I, you know, we've all got things to do, so I, I like anything that lets me maybe, you know, on those days I'm in a little bit of a hurry and want to get more done to speed it up a little bit, so.
0: Mm-hmm. Speaking of a man with things to do, Jeffrey.
3: Oh, um, yeah, so I act- was actually writing an article just today on the future of the Zelda franchise. So a lot of the improvements you guys have already mentioned, but I'll just throw a couple in that maybe we haven't uh, discussed so much. And a lot of these are kind of very focused on design, because um, I, I agree with what Michael said about the flavor of the series. I think that that shouldn't change. Um My things are are more like, um, I, I think the tutorials could be sped up a lot. And that's something that the older games are better about, like, in A Link to the Past, you start out, like, immediately in this kind of dangerous situation where your uncle leaves at night and you have to go out and um it's, you know, a stormy night and you get the sword, like, right away. And now, the current games, it takes like two hours until you get yeah. your sword. And, you know, there's way too much text. So, the first few hours of Zelda games should not suck. They did not suck in the... I, I guess that's a little over because I think the writing is actually quite good in the new ones, but that could definitely be sped up. Um I think I would really like if they started you with more of the standard items like bombs and the bow and arrow. And Majora's mastered that a bit, uh, being a direct sequel to Ocarina. But we haven't really seen that in the later ones. And, you know, I'd still like to get items, but I think that, you know, I'd like to find more interesting items later on, you know, like the beetle. Um, but I think that that whole idea of sort of Metroiding Link at the beginning of every game... Um, I think they could also speed that along a little bit. Uh, and, oh, and I guess the last thing I'll throw out is I'd really like there to be more important items that you find not in dungeons. I think that would kind of change the flow a little bit. And and they've done that before. Um, like, you find a hookshot in Ocarina in a, like in a grave, and you have to find it, but it feels... You know, it's kind of unpredictable that you find such an important item, you know, in kind of an obtuse place. And in Majora's Mask, they did an interesting thing where you get these masks from a side mission.
0: I was just going to bring up Majora's Mask because they, they give you the um, the masks, like, outside the dungeons. And what you do to get the masks um, is actually uh, pretty interesting. I, thought, I think that Majora's Mask actually does, uh, in between dungeon content, the best out of Uh, Any game in the series, in my opinion, because the quests for getting the masks are just are pretty interesting, especially the uh, that band you have to help in the in the Zora, the Zora level.
3: I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, I'm not sure if I got that one. I I need to go back to Majora's. Majora's Mask is the one I love and and hate like equally the (laughs) most. I think it's so fascinating, but really frustrating to play. So I always play that game for, like, a couple days and then get sidetracked with something else and get a little frustrated, or, you know, if I don't know what to do in time, and then I don't go back to it for, like, another year. <laughs> yeah. And I, I've beaten it before, but I used to walk through the first time and, you know, not all the way, but, like, I, I used a walkthrough more than I'd ordinarily like, so I went lose progress. Um, and, like, over the last two years, I've had this ongoing second playthrough that I... We'll revisit every <laughs> now and again.
0: Well, you've got more patience than Brad. Then that's what I'll say. <laughs> yeah, but uh,
3: Brad lasted about an hour. Yeah, the, the first last... hour is the worst, though. Really, if you—it's <laughs> all errands, and if you don't do all the, the right ones, you have to do it all over again, and it's mm. wow. And you're <laughs> stuck as not... the
0: Deku, mat You're stuck with the Deku form for most of that as well. So it's—it it is okay. a bit of a weak start, but it's not. It's not so long that I think it becomes totally unmanageable. It's a bad way to start the game off. <laughs> it, really, it, is, it is. I will admit that.
2: And that time has not been kind to the Nintendo 64 visuals either. I mean, what no, really used to not. be loud by him. looks pretty, pretty awful today.
0: Mm-hmm. It's definitely, well, some games just do not age well. Okay, so we are about out of time. Uh, any final thoughts, Mike Bracken?
1: I got nothing. It was all in the show.
0: Great, great. That's fantastic. <laughs>
2: Michael? You just said uh, some games don't age well. I, I think um, if you think about Nintendo, you could sort of say, well, there's the Mario games and there's the Zelda games and there's other franchises, but those are such pillar franchises. And it's a lot easier to change Mario games, I think, because they're so mechanically... You know, there's so sound and so you, you can like go 3D in the galaxy games and still do some really cool platforming and it's really just keep throwing all kinds of really great ideas at that. But in a world that you have lore and you have a recognizable character that, you know, that it's almost like opera, you know, it's so formulaic that, um, I, I just wonder if maybe Zelda's audience, which I, I presume is kind of shrinking slowly over time will sort of kind of be a little bit like opera that it's it's going kind to of deeply formulaic it's built around a set of conventions that we all understand and it can be a beautiful powerful thing but game design will march on and it'll march past the Zelda games in a way and that's okay that that they'll they're still lovely it, Experiences to have, and they don't necessarily have to turn themselves inside out to figure out how to be more like Batman: Arkham Asylum. You know that it's just not in the cards.
0: So, so you don't think it would be cool to like hang down from a, a rafter or something and you know stab a moblin or
3: kick him in the face?
2: I don't know. Maybe it would. Be. I don't know. <laughs> I really. I mean, yeah. It.
3: It would be Assassin's Creed. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, I just think there's a certain uh, undeniable charm about the zelda universe that uh, nintendo holds precious and um, that means that it implies that you can't necessarily just throw everything into it combat mechanics and stuff because it would be sort of not right or wouldn't feel right with link i think he's a very precious character to them and i like that but it does put them kind of behind the eight ball as well
0: well said well said Uh jeffrey final thoughts um,
3: yeah, sure. So, um going off with of Michael saying, I'm not necessarily sure that... I, I do like that is very distinct from what game design has become. You know, it's not like a first-person shooter or anything. Although I don't necessarily think those things have to be separate. Like, Darksiders is much like Zelda in a lot of ways, and they had a little bit of third-person shooting sections actually work. And, you know, that, that stuff can be implemented, but I like that they don't feel forced to. Um, I just want them to keep doing new things. And, you know, regardless of what you think of the, um, the Twilight, was it the spirit realm, excuse me, in the new one. Um, like, it, it was new. And, you know, Majora's Mask was like, really strange. And, um, another favorite of mine was Link's Awakening, which just had a really unique flavor to it and, you know, had 2D platforming, which was new to the series at the time. And I just kind of want them to keep, You know, I feel like Nintendo does a really good job at designing these games, even if you know none of the games have good camera control due to a lack of a second analog stick on the Wii. Um, Like, you know, they've done interesting things with Mario, and and you know, as long as they just keep putting in things that I haven't seen before, and even if it does adhere to this formula. I think that that will work and I'm surprised we didn't touch on it that much earlier, but I thought the DSL was really, really great. I like taking notes, the whole notepad. Um, so yeah, I think that, I think the series has a lot of life left. I just, you know, I, I think there is some room to, to make it a little bit punchier.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. There is, there is, I think we can all agree that there, there is room for improvement in a lot of ways well folks that is the end of our epic zelda discussion if you liked what you heard you can check out our main show at gamecritics.com and on itunes if you'd like to give us some feedback you can leave a note in the comment section or you can send an email to podcast at gamecritics.com for all of us thanks for listening good night Hey everybody, just a quick note, what you're about to hear is some friendly banter that took place after the show was finished. I wanted to work it in somehow, but couldn't find a good fit for it, so it's getting included as bonus content. Enjoy! Um, Actually, oh, I should have said this on the show, but I did trade in Skyward Sword for, among other things, a copy of Too Human.
3: (laughs) So. (laughs) Oh, that's... I actually never played Too Human, I just, I love its the mythos behind it on the Game Critics podcast.
1: Mm
3: -hmm. (laughs) Yep. So I'm curious, Michael, I I know, you know, let me know if you have to go, but we never did uh, actually discuss Twilight Princess and why you, I feel like I can just get such a bad rap. Like everyone thinks it it was trying too hard to be dark, but I've always likened it to sort of the, to Princess Mononoke. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, relative feather ghibli films. It's darker, but it's not that dark. Like it's still like really enchanting and really beautiful and and lush. And I didn't think that it was like nearly as edgy as I was concerned it would be. That that is kind
0: of, that is something. I, I mean, not to interrupt you, Michael, but I mean that is something I did enjoy about Twilight Princess. Artistically, I think they did a pretty good job uh, making it not necessarily edgier, but just darker and less sunny. So, I mean, in that, I mean, Twilight Princess is, I mean, it had a lot of problems, but I mean, I, I did enjoy that uh, particular aspect of it.
2: I liked Midna. I thought she was yeah. fantastic. Love that character. It's one of my favorite characters in the franchise. Um, I guess it felt, I don't know. I hate this word because I don't think it's quite accurate, but it felt kind of bloated to me. Um, it just felt, felt like they tried to stuff it too full. It, it, it had that feeling of of kind of like um the effort to be epic uh the epic that there's sort of the effort to put everything they could think of in that um but i don't know i mean uh i, I somebody told me I, I made a big mistake playing the wii version i should have played the gamecube version
3: i played the wii version
0: yeah the wii, is the wii it, version is um it's generally fine. I mean, it has some of the same, uh, control problems that Skyward Sword does, but I mean, it's, I mean, I thought it was, it was usable.
2: Did you find, um, I mean, I, I don't know why this is, I, I love Zelda so much that I, I've never happened to me before. I got about, I don't know, I'm guessing maybe a halfway through it and I just started to lose interest and I, I don't, I'm not exactly sure I can put my finger on why. I just didn't, I don't know. It, the story or, or, I don't know.
0: This just this just brings that subjectivity point you were bringing up earlier just totally into focus because that's exactly how I felt about Skyward Sword. It was just like re- really after the fifth dungeon, I just I, I just started to lose interest. And really, I mean, in Twilight Princess, it was kind of like that as well, uh, just because it was it was a very long game, and um, especially because like the fifth dungeon in Twilight Princess, or at least I think it's is the Snope the. House on the mountain is that the fifth dungeon? I think I it is.
3: Can't remember. It's, I actually don't remember this game as much as I'd like for discussion. But just like I remember at the time, I really, really loved it, and I haven't had a chance to go back and mm-hmm. see how it compares. But I anyway. think partly
2: to me, I don't know if Jeffrey this makes any sense, but it also felt to me like there were voices at Nintendo that was that were very worried after Wind Waker, and that the gamers that they wanted to continue to appeal to sort of rejected that game and there's been a lot of revisionist history about that because now we all everyone thinks wind waker is a great game suddenly you know like yeah. it's suddenly become fondly remembered but it simply wasn't in the day people hated it yeah, wind, wind, and, wake,
3: wind waker has aged really well I oh think. yeah so, oh
2: god yeah but it's yeah, so it
3: looks fantastic today still even on hg tv
2: i think it just felt a little bit like they were trying hard to to, to stay relevant uh, by changing Link and making him older and, and just, it, it felt like it, a little bit like they wanted to, it was a pitch to try to reach the gamers, gamer crowd that they felt were going to abandon the series because they were angry about Wind Waker.
0: And what, yeah. it, what I think it comes back to is that, um, if I remember correctly, there was a demo shown at E3 one year where they showed like a, this realistic sword fight between Link and Ganondorf. Probably like,
3: Space World, but yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: Space World or some some tech show. And it was – they showed that, and everyone got really excited. And then they announced Wind Waker, and it was like this totally different art style, like the whole shell, the cell-shaded thing. And then people just got – they started calling it Kitty. They just said it wasn't very good and just – I th- I mean, I think it got a lot of flack for that. I think it was in a lot of sectors just really not well-received for that. But it's interesting that now – Wind Waker is seen by a lot of people as the, the best Zelda game.
3: Yeah, it's funny. I I came into the Zelda series not necessarily late. I started with the NES games and I played, you know, that through Link's Awakening. And um I wish we had time to get into this on the show, but it didn't really fit anywhere. Oh, we're still recording. Uh, oh. We can add this. Okay, we'll see. <laughs> um so anyway, so I started the NES Zelda's um up through Link's Awakening, and then I never had a a game console between the Super Nintendo to mid-era GameCube after Wind Waker. So, you know, just at a point in my life where I was, you know, going to high school and I you know, just got interested in other things and kind of let like games fall by the wayside. So I got back into them with, or when I bought my GameCube I had that Zelda Collector's Edition. So I played Ocarina, like, years too late. And I think it would, this would have been, like, late 2003 or something. And... It's not so much that the, that I was critical of it because I came on late, because to me it still felt like a new ish game. It was newer than what I had. It would be like if somebody today didn't have a console newer than a PS1, and then they got a PS2. Like to us that's dated, but to them, you know, it's better than what they had, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, um, and I just found Ocarina, like, really odd. Like, like, I found it really hard to play. I frequently didn't know where to go. I found the controls really clunky. To me, it just felt, you know, not as good as 2D. Like, it just felt kind of complicated and clunky. And now it feels not as complicated since I've played other ones, but it still feels clunky in a different way. See, Ocarina was actually the very first Zelda that I played.
0: Um, I actually got it fairly soon after it came out. Um, It was to the point where I actually got one of the cartridges that... um, it was one of the non-updated cartridges that still had the red blood that Ganondorf, cause like, did you, did you guys ever, uh, remember like the stuff that they changed in Ocarina from one version to the next one?
3: Mm-mm, I'm not familiar with this.
0: In the original cartridge for Ocarina, there was, a... Uh, when you kill Ganondorf's first form, he coughs up red blood, and, uh, in the second version, he actually coughs up green blood, because apparently someone complained about that, and then, there's one of the songs. I think it's the Fire Temple where they took out this this chanting in the background. They made some sort of musical change to it as well. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I know that there was I, there there were some complaints about uh, the original version of Ocarina that had to be updated in the cartridges that came out after that.
3: Ah, so you have a collector's edition Ocarina card.
0: I think I do. I don't remember if I had see. I can't really don't remember. Don't tell
3: me that you traded it for Too Human.
0: No. <laughs> <laughs> no, Too Human didn't exist then. Well, it did exist, but it wasn't released. Really <laughs> you saved
3: it and then. It.
0: Yeah. But it was like, I can't remember if the original one was the one that I rented or the one that I bought. I, I don't uh, remember which one it was and I haven't played it in, in years. So,
2: yeah. Well, it's, 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 in a way, it's easy to be Ocarina of Time to for it to be a great game because it was such a significant reboot you know i mean it it was the mario 64 of of its of that franchise it, it changed yeah. everything it changed game design it changed everybody's game you know it's hard f- to do that more s- than once
0: especially with in regards to 3d combat because i think that i i don't know if it was the first game to have like the target lock attack system but it was i mean it was the first one that i
3: ever saw that did that I didn't really like it that much. And, like, I still going back to today, I think that Z targeting it, it makes some sense, but the target lock on was just, you know, really poor. I don't know if it was a technical reason, but y- you can only lock on to things that are really close to you, and the camera's fiddly, so if there's a bat hovering, you know, a foot above you, you can't really um, lock on very well. And I just, I don't know, like, I, like I said, I played a, during the GameCube era, so immediately after I played Ocarina, I think the next game that I played was Beyond Good and Evil. And which had you know, which I just thought was so much more fun. Mm-hmm. And you know, granted it does have a better system to run on And it wasn't the combat was better, but just like in every other way, it just felt like so much more smooth. And
0: Yeah, that's definitely a game I need to actually finish. I've had the PC version for I don't know, four or five years now, and I've just never, it'll, it'll be like, I'll play up until that very first boss, and I'll think like, wow, this is really cool, and then I'll just stop for no apparent reason. Like, I'll, like, I'll be enjoying it, and I just, like, something else gets in the way, and I just don't play it.
2: Well, yeah, that- you, have you, have you, have you introduced, or have you seen anyone play Ocarina of Time for the, for the first time? And like, do you know of any players that have recently encountered it for the first time?
0: Yeah, I, mm. I actually watched, um and this was, I wanna say about four or five, well no, maybe even six years ago, but, uh, I watched a roommate of mine play it for the very first time, cause he had, at that point, he had only played, like, the original NES Zelda, like, he had never played Ocarina or Majora's Mask, or even Link to the Past. And it was funny watching him adapt to the control, like, the N64 controller so easily. Like, and especially because, like, he was, cause he was used to the, the NES one. It's just like, it was just, it was just totally bizarre because it was such a natural transition for him. Whereas I had, I mean, I always, I mean, I always hated the N64 controller and now it's like, I can't even, like, I, I can't, like, I can't play the N64 Ocarina now because I have to, like, I require something like the GameCube controller to do it. And what was hilarious is that, uh, the part in the very first Dungeon, or one of the parts where you have to, you know, light the the Deku sticks on fire and then light the torches. He kept trying to light his shield on fire instead and try to light the torches with that because he didn't just did not realize that the, <laughs> that the sticks would burn. And I'm like, he kept trying to do that for like 30 minutes before he started getting kind of pissed off and he's like, "God, what the fuck do I do?" And I'm like, I finally just had pity on him and told him about it and he's like, "Oh." I didn't know you could set those on fire. I'm like, yeah, yeah, they're they're wood, so they, they burn. So, yeah, there was really no point to that story. I just thought it was funny.
3: Well, you know, it's, it's funny you bring that up, because I had a similar reaction, not with the the wood and the torches, but, you know, when I played it, There, I found myself getting stuck a lot because I was relatively new to games at the time, or, you know, coming back into them and um, not having played, you know, that many more complicated games. And, like, in the beginning of the game, they tell you to go to Hyrule Castle and, you know, meet up with the king or Zelda or something. And, and uh, you know, I went there and the guards said I wasn't allowed to be there. So, being a veteran of point-and-click adventures, I assumed that I needed to, like, solve some quest and get, like, a, a decree or some kind of permission to be there. And I was stuck for a while. And eventually, I think I finally went online and just, you know, looked up what do I do. And you're supposed to sneak past the guards. But because their line of sight is, like, 10 feet or something, it looks like they should be able to see you, but they can't. And it just it never even occurred to me if that was something that I could do in the game. Um, yeah. And also, it's embarrassing to think about now, but I didn't even understand that Navi was a hint system. So that part where, after you become an adult, she says... That part's actually kind of misleading, because the camera, I think, pans to one way and encourages you to go to... Um, the village, whatever it's called. And, and then your fairy says, hey, I wonder what, uh, you know, forget her name, but your girlfriend would think of you now that you're the hero of time. And I thought that was just supposed to be like, just a joke, just some like, witty <laughs> flavor. I didn't yeah. understand that that was actually a hint to go there because I was already steered in this other direction. And she kept saying, I'm like, God, have just shut up? Um, and then eventually, I figured out, oh, you're you're supposed to actually listen to your fairy. That's like a guide where to go. And it's it's just so funny that like, you know, people think now that it's like this really intuitive thing, but it wasn't at all. And it, you know, to me, and it's not like I had no experience with gaming either. I was just very rusty.
2: Yeah, everything's a revelation to you. It's amazing. And you, if you played the previous Zelda games, you're suddenly in this totally different incarnation of it. You know, like everything. You do is a discovery. Like, you, everything you do is the first time you've ever done it like that, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, you can't, you can't, like, lightning can't strike the same place like that <laughs> twice. It's just, it's impossible.
3: Well, that's something I like when I play these, you know, so-called Zelda clones like Okami or Beyond Good and Evil is the items do different stuff. You know, you're collecting, you know, different collectibles and you kind of wonder, huh, I wonder what will happen when I get enough of these. And we already know with Zelda, so that's always something that kind of, like, excites me when I play a, a third-party rendition of the series. And I wonder if Zelda could kind of reunite that that magic um a little bit. So here's an interesting question for both of you. If you had to recommend
0: a Zelda game to a person who had never played any of the Zelda games or any game that is like a Zelda game, which one would you recommend?
3: Hmm... Uh... I'm thinking maybe Wind Waker, just because I think it's one of the easier ones, and also it's you know great in all the other ways people talk about. It. You know, it looks great. It's um, you know it's really well designed, and I think it's user friendly enough that you know it kind of guides you quite a bit early on. You might have to look up a hint or two later on, especially in the late game fetch quest. But I think it's probably I don't know I don't know that or one of the... Two, um, Think in Link's Awakening or Link to the Past because I remember I didn't have to look up any hints in uh, a Link to the Past or Link's Awakening, and then I had to look up hints with N sixty four games.
0: I was gonna say I, my recommendation would probably be Link to the Past as yeah. well, just because it's the most. It, it's definitely the most uh, straightforward. It has the fastest hook because I mean, like you were saying earlier, Jeffrey, you mm-hmm. get you you start pretty much in the action. Mm-hmm. Um, But Wind Wind Waker wouldn't be a bad choice either. I don't think because it's very. I think Link to the Past and Wind Waker, I think, are the most intuitive and user friendly of the main franchise. I've never played any of the DS ones, though.
2: I completely agree with you guys. And if you're if this hypothetical player is like a Call of Duty sort of player and and has never played a Zelda game, then then maybe Wind Waker. if, If they you know, going too old school would be too too disconcerting to them. Link to the past might be they'd look at him like, ah, oh, this it wouldn't be fun. They wouldn't play it. But mm-hmm. if they're more open minded,
3: we know Call of Duty players just, love Wind Waker. Of course oh, yeah. they would. <laughs> totally. Of
2: course they would. I, I I would probably Call of Duty player would make me laugh, force them to play Wind Waker even more. <laughs> <Wind> Waker. But <laughs> the, um, is there? I mean, it. I would say of all the Zelda games. It's the most perfect game. Like, is there anything wrong with Link to the Past? Like, is there some controversial part of it that note that we all can, like, like the sailing and wind waker? Like, it's perfect. I, that game is so, so, so absolutely beautifully built.
3: I think you might be right. Like, I yeah. mildly prefer Link's Awakening just because, uh, for one, the map is better. Like, it was the first one that actually had, like, a grid map and you could look at every square was on it. Um And I just kind of like the flavor of Link's Awakening. It was very bizarre and, you know, how, like, these phone booths they use as a hint system. But I think in terms of, like, being a more, you know, I, I hate to use this term, but more, like, objectively or whatever, it, it, it does seem a little bit more, um yeah, I, I can't, it, it's a less weird Link's Awakening And it does look better visually. I mean, Link to the
0: Past is really, it's the blueprint for all of the other ones, like even more so than uh, the original NES one. Because I remember Mm -hmm. uh, having played Ocarina as the first Zelda, eventually I went back and played Link to the Past, and it's just, the the similarities are just so, it's just so interesting how they lifted Link to the Past from 2D to 3D, and have it still be almost the exact same structure to it. Like to me, to me, Ocarina feels like just Link to the Past in 3D, like just like straight up.
3: Yeah.